This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Marshall in, he bowls, Foster goes forward and he's out, caught there by Harper at third step. Here is Walsh on the way now and Gooch pulls down towards backwards for leg, that's going to be his 100. Hooper is hit on the pad, there's an appeal towards umpire, Mitchell's giving it out to Abu Dhabi, Cork has taken a hat-trick. There's a big Abu Dhabi appeal for him and he's out, Abu Dhabi, West Indies all out for 54. Hello, Jonathan Agnew here with the second episode in our series of four, looking back at classic matches played between England and the West Indies. In the last episode, we listened back to Gordon Greenwich's heroics as West Indies chased down 342 in double-quick time at Lords in 1984. Well, today we're moving on to 1991 and Headingley. And I personally had moved from the field of play to the commentary box and was enjoying my first full summer commentating on Test Match Special. In fact, this was my very first game. Come 1991, the Great West Indies side were perhaps losing some of their power, having gone through a glorious 1980s, losing just one series out of 21. Here is Garner, comes in now to Ellison. Ellison edges it, he's out caught, the West Indies have won. Ellison caught in the gully by holding off the bowling of Garner. The West Indies have completed their fifth consecutive victory in the series. They're coming off the ground, mobbed by hundreds of their supporters. And for the first time in the history of Test cricket, England have lost all five tests in a series in England. The West Indies have completed their eighth consecutive victory in Test matches. The likes of Greenwich, Marshall, Richards and Dujon were on the cusp of retirement. England, meanwhile, had the formidable leadership of Graham Gooch in the form of his life. It's now the highest score made by anyone in first-class cricket at Lords in any cricket I've checked Wisdom, it's the highest score ever made on this ground. Well, there we are. Gooch is waiting again. Charles he goes down the pitch again. And he's hit that one, it's gone hard nine. That must be a six! It's over the side screen. It's six runs. It's gone through to the nursery end. I'm hoarse with excitement, I'm sorry about that. But that was a tremendous belt. His third six of the innings, and it takes him up to 323. And the hosts had reason to be optimistic. They'd only narrowly lost the return series in the Caribbean the previous year by two matches to one. So to Headingley, and the first test of the 91 series. And with me to discuss a dramatic five days in Leeds are the West Indies broadcaster Fazia Mohammed and the TMS statistician Andy Zaltzman. So let's, gentlemen, first of all, assess the two sides at the time. It's always worth going through the teams, actually, to get some idea. It will go back in time. Graham Gooch, Mike Atherton, Graham Hick making his debut, of course. Alan Lamb, Mark Ramprakash, also debut for him. Robin Smith, Jack Russell keeping wicket. And then the seam attack, Pringle, Defratus, Watkin and Devon Malcolm. The West Indies side, Simmons, Haynes, Richardson, Hooper. Viv Richards as captain, Gus Logie, Dujon, and then the pace attack, Marshall, Ambrose, Walsh and Patterson. And let's start with you, Fazia, because you talk about the West Indies on the cusp of, of going over, perhaps over the hill, off the boil at this stage. 
that's still one mean pace attack I've got lined up there, isn't it? And indeed it was. And, and they, were, they were all raring to go in ideal conditions at Headingley. But you're, you're right in that assessment about where the West Indies were in 1991 compared to that phenomenal black wash year of 1984 and then again in the Caribbean in 1986 because there was no Gordon Greenwich for, from the very outset because he was selected as part of the squad but then damaged a knee and played no further part uh, on that tour. In fact, that was the, the, the end of it as a test cricketer and you rather politely talked about them coming towards their retirement well Greenwich didn't retire he wanted to play on he was dropped Jeff Dujon didn't retire he wanted to play on he was dropped uh, Malcolm Marshall saw the sign the writing on the wall so he decided to go uh, as well so it was a, a really challenging period because they had just come out of a really acrimonious series against Australia uh, a lot of bad blood between those two teams uh, but pointed at each other and all sorts of things. As you said, they were lucky, I'll say, in the series against England in the Caribbean. England should have been 2-0 up after Trinidad, but for the rain and the stalling tactics. So, so yeah, you could see the signs of the West Indies slipping from that summit. And especially without Greenwich being there, England would have felt with, with Gooch back in their lineup. He wasn't there in 84 because he was still serving his suspension from international cricket for playing in South Africa. So this was really an, an ideal time to take on the West Indies. Just a thought about Viv Richards as well, Andy. Um, was he statistically uh, coming towards the end? By now, I remember playing against him in county cricket when he was playing for Glamorgan and uh, he, he, he did appear to be coming towards the end then. Richards was 39 years old at this point, had already played a 116 tests, but he had dipped significantly in his previous 15 tests, only one century and an average of 30, comparing with his overall career average of 50. It had been um, you know, a bit of a gradual decline through the 1980s, but uh, over the previous couple of years he had been uh, significantly diminished force. Uh, but the bowlers, they still had three of the world's top six in the rankings. Marshall, though this was his final series, was still top. Kirtley Ambrose, uh, the coming man of world five bowling really uh, second and Courtney Walsh in sixth place all three of those bowlers ended up with uh, over 375 test wickets so that was a tidy attack plus the fearsome Patrick Patterson uh, really one of the best fast bowling attacks that's ever come to these shores Atherton is 32 and is wrapped on the pad there is an appeal and this time he's out well that's the blow the West Indies wanted early in the afternoon here's Walsh on the way now and off the edge and he's out caught in the gully by Simmons ball which came off the top edge well the name that jumps out at me inevitably especially in my first match as cricket correspondent of the bbc was that of ga hick and all the talk that there had been about uh, this very quiet zimbabwean who had been murdering county attacks for years uh, for for worcestershire finally uh, had his moment his registration was through and he was able to play for england i, I watched him score a brilliant hundred against the west indies on their previous tour for Worcestershire when he rather took them apart. Now that's pushed out into the onside. A real punch of the air from Graham Hick. As he raises his bat aloft now towards the dressing room, his helmet comes off, he mops his brow on his long sleeve of his shirt, he's 100 not out. Out of Worcestershire's 208 for two. There had been some talk, though, during those late 80s, about his ability to deal with a short ball, how he was a bit rooted to the spot, how he didn't play it very well. And, uh, well, he got a terrific working over from those fast bowlers, not just in this match, but in, the, in, this, in this part of the series 
that he played, and they they really sorted him out, Fazio, didn't they? Yeah, and and, and the, the West Indies knew that a lot was being made about Graham Hicks' arrival as an England Test player, and they, they were waiting for him. Uh, essentially, that 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 is a bit of a, a motivating element to to cut the new big boy down to size, and, and and clearly they would have done their 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 homework. A lot of them would have been involved in county cricket for a long time, so they would have sensed the strengths and weaknesses, and it was obvious in a very different way to which the West, the West Indies team targeted Tony Gregg in that infamous Grovel series of 1976. They targeted Graham Hick for a different reason because they felt that too much was being made about Graham Hick being this superstar player and this. They more or less said, okay, you're scoring a lot of runs on the county circuit and wherever. Let's see how you fare when the big boys uh, are in action against you in the real thing, Test cricket. Yeah, it was just expected that he would walk in. I mean, he'd already written, I think, one of his autobiographies before he'd even, even played, played a test match. Um, he was just expected somehow to, to just be able to just come striding into test cricket and take it like a, like a duck to water. I mean, his, his county records, Andy, leading up to this, were, were, were phenomenal. I mean, how, how many hundreds did he score for a start? Well, he had 57 hundreds in first-class cricket when he made his uh, his test debut. He'd been playing first-class for eight years, had scored over 16,000 runs at an average just over 62. That was At that point, he had the best first-class average of any batsman who played 50 or more innings uh, since uh, George Headley, who played his last first-class game in 1954, the great West Indian. So uh, Hick was statistically absolutely extraordinary in first class cricket but as you said maybe that not not being challenged at a younger age had led to uh, some uh, technical flaws within his game yeah well 6 and 6 for him uh, in this test match and he was dropped before the last test match of this series mark ramprakash also again one of those prolific batsmen in 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 county cricket he didn't have a bad debut actually 27 and 27. No Angus Fraser, he was injured. Uh, Steve Watkin uh, replaced him, and as uh, Fazio mentioned, uh, Gordon Greenwich uh, was injured and replaced by Phil Simmons. Lara uh, not playing, uh, Gus Logie having been preferred uh, in the West Indies lineup. So, England were put into bat under cloudy skies and lost three early wickets. In comes Patterson. There's a full length ball and bowls. Atherton. I would think probably middle and off. Yorked as much as anything. And Gooch is beaten. He's out, caught behind. That's a beauty from Marshall. One which lifted, left him, took the edge of the bat. Dujon did the rest. Walsh runs up. He seems all right. Bills up on outside the stump. And that one is caught behind. And he's caught by Dujon going low down in front of first slip. And he's got his wicket. And there is Hick caught by Dujon. So 45 for three, England, having been put into bat and uh, things not looking very good at all. So some rebuilding going on. Robin Smith, 54, he was run out. We mentioned Rampagash, 27, in his first test innings. Funny old innings, this, because uh, England were out for 198 early on on the second day, so a, a very slow uh, rate of scoring. But this is how that innings ended. Pringle waits. Patterson comes in, bows to him. That one, he's clipped away on his toes. He's going down to Logie, who this time pouches it down. A deep square leg, runs in, taking it very carefully, just in his midriff. And that is the end of the England innings. And Pringle is caught Logie, Bill Patterson for 16. England are 198 for 10. And you've been saying, I know, um, I guess, you know, 220-240 wouldn't be a, a bad <laughs> score at all. So they haven't quite achieved that. Well, I do remember the ball, uh, the ball nipping around. That's why England were put into bat. 198 
All out, two wickets for Ambrose, three for Patterson, uh, one for Walsh, and of course Malcolm Marshall, three for 46. 198, though, it didn't, it didn't really feel enough. And uh, Phil Simmons got the West Indies away to a bit of a flyer. Simmons flicks it away, down backward of square, in the air for four. Ball on the legs, big powerful man, Philip Simmons. Malcolm on the way now to bowl to Simmons. Simmons flicks it away again for four more, this time along the ground. Down through square leg, lovely shot by Simmons. Over pitch on his legs, and he hit it hard and well. So good start for Simmons, but uh, De Freitas uh, had him caught by uh, Mark Rabricash, a, a brilliant piece of fielding. Freitas turns at the top of his run, comes down the slope from the Kirkstall Lane end, and bowls to the right-handed Simmons, who square cuts in the air and is caught very brilliantly by Rabricash diving to his right. Simmons looks disgusted with himself. Ramprakash looks delighted with himself, and well he might. And England have taken the second West Indian wicket at 54. And of course, this was the Headingley of old, and the Headingley that, I must admit, I used to love watching cricket on, because the ball always did that little bit, and if you had the right sort of attack, and England's attack that day, well, Devon Malcolm uh, was expensive, 14 overs for 69, but I'm, I'm surprised that England picked him, actually, because it just wouldn't be his sort of his sort of pitch, but to Freitas and Watkin and Pringle, is moving the ball about and nibbling it around. I don't know what you think, Fuzzier, but Headingley in those days... When you looked up and the ball did, did, did nip around, it was intriguing cricket. It really uh, added to the drama of what was to come in the second innings and, and uh, in the conditions because you knew when, whenever you, you fronted up at a headingly, it's the, the sort of situation when it's overcast and, uh, as you said correctly, the ball is dancing about and with the West Indies pace as well. And, and, and the fact is that with the bowling attack that the West Indies had, to get England out for 198, they would have felt, well, look, business as usual. I mean, we were really setting our stall out to get an early lead in this test series, to maybe not dominate England as, as easily as we did so many years ago. But certainly it all looked good with that, the strength of that fast bowling attack in conditions as you would normally expect at Headingley. So 139 for four. Which well, seems a bowl out for 173, only three players making double figures. And, of course, one of those was Viv Richards. It's been a long time since Richards has uh, got big scores in, in Test cricket. Here's Watkin into him now. He goes back and chops it down to third man. That'll go for four, and that's his 50. Malcolm bowls to Richards again. That's short, and he hooks it in the air, and for six. His second six since T, a stroke of infinite ease, really. Just a gentle pivot of the body and that heavy bat, and the ball coming right out of the middle... So Richard scoring uh, 73 as West Indies lost their last five wickets for just 17 runs and a little handy lead there uh, for England. But with that ball moving around, you knew the value of every run was absolutely critical. Graham Gooch then, uh, I must admit, this I think would have to rank as one of the finest innings that I've ever seen in those conditions and against one of the finest bowling attacks there is. To score 154 not out, one of only three players in that innings to reach double figures. The other two being Rambrakas at 27 and Pringle, a really valuable 27. No one else made double figures. In fact, they didn't get close uh, to reaching double figures. 154, 27, 27. The next highest score uh, was six. This is an extraordinary innings. Walsh bowls again and he's another four. This is going to mid-wicket. Uh, Logie in vain pursuit. That was slightly short. Whipped away through mid-wicket by Gooch. And uh, he's had four fours in fairly quick succession. Statistically, 
Andy, to score that number of runs in, in a second innings, to set up a win like that, where does that rank? Uh, well, it's, I think, universally regarded as one of the finest innings in the history of Test cricket. He scored 61% of England's runs in that innings. That's the highest proportion by one England player of a completed Test inning, so where the team's been bowled out. And there were 21 extras. He scored exactly two-thirds of the runs off the bat. As you said, it, there were a lot of very low scores in this game. There were 25 single-figure dismissals in this match. That's the joint most in a test in England since the First World War, equaled only by last year's Headingley test that uh, featured that incredible Ben Stokes century. So it was uh, it was a truly extraordinary innings. He was only the third player to carry his bat against West Indies to open and still be not out at the end uh, of the innings. Um, and Gooch had had a strangely fitful test career over a, a decade and a half until 1990 when he became captain and went on that tour of the West Indies in which he got injured. But, but from from then on, he had one of the most extraordinary purple patches of any batsman uh, that, that we've seen. In 1989, he, he appeared to be finished. He'd been dobbled out by the masterful trundlements of Australia's Terry Alderman, aged 36. And then he went on a 25-match sequence after that, scoring 2,800 runs, average 65. This game was pretty much right in the middle of that sequence. And that, that's a record number of runs scored by an opener in a 25-match uh, sequence in test history so this was possibly the finest innings played by uh, an England batsman um, but certainly Gooch in the middle of his peak and let's not forget under cloudy skies and the ball nipping about Ambrose now to bowl to Hick well pitched up and he yorked him oh my gosh yorked him he's yorked him he must have gone off the bottom of the bat and he's yorked and he's out and England have lost another wicket so Ambrose has got Hick and Hick again has not succeeded and England are 38 for two. And had to get through to lunch without exposing another batsman to this still newish ball. A lead of 63 as Ambrose bowls to Lamb. Outside the off stump and he's out. First ball caught by Hooper. And joy reigns unconfined amongst the West Indian ranks. Well, crucially at the other end, uh, Derek Pringle, who was stubborn, he could hang around. And, uh, and he found the boundary too. Another full-length ball, and Pringle drives it straight for four. Splendid stroke, just between the stumps and mid-on. And a ball which is distinctly pale in colour came over the rope down below our commentary box. England all out there for 252, Gooch having carried his bat to score 154 not out. Here is Walsh on the way now, and Gooch pulls down towards backwards square leg. That's going to be his 100... Four runs down to a deep backward square. Gooch gets his 100. He's 102 not out. And the crowd here at Headingley are rising to Graham Gooch. And a prolonged applause from the crowd for a most vital century by the England captain. Yeah, and in every way, an absolutely astonishing innings. I just wonder, is that, is that an innings that's talked about in West Indian folklore at all, uh, Fazir? I think West Indians for, for a long time have had tremendous admiration uh, for Graham Gooch and, and uh, Andy talked about that 150 he scored uh, in Jamaica at the end of the series in 1981. That was a really turbulent series uh, for England. Kenny Barrington dying as, as coach in Barbados and all sorts of things happening. Test match being cancelled in, in Guyana because of Robin Jackman's presence and so on. But Gooch stood out 
uh, as someone who the Westernese respected, who, who would stand four square and take on the Westernese fast bowlers. And again, it, it bears repeating aggers. You look at that Westernese fast bowling lineup at Headingley, you're talking about Malcolm Marshall, even if he was coming to the end of his career, still a handful. Kirtley Ambrose getting into his prime, uh, the evergreen Courtney Walsh, and not forgetting. Patrick Patterson, England will have had nightmares of him from 1986 in the Caribbean. And with that high kicking delivery stride, Geoffrey Dujon always made the point that of all the fast bowlers he would have kept to, it was Patrick Patterson who hit his gloves harder than anyone else. So when you're talking about in those conditions to play the innings that Graham Gooch did, uh, and yeah, it must stand out as one of the great test innings of all time, and Caribbean fans certainly won't, won't begrudge uh, to praise that. Gooch, not out, 150. England, 244 for nine. The lead, therefore, is... 269. It's funny though, isn't it? It's interesting. It, it is Headingley. And funny enough, I would take England's attack in this match, <laughs> even against that West Indies attack, because of the length they bowl and the type of bowling that they are. And 278 to win was always going to be a really tall order, I think. And Philip de Freitas got England away to the best possible start. Right, here's the first ball. 278, they need to win. And in he comes now, de Freitas and Bowles. And this one, he the first ball, and it's out, and West Indies are not for one. And really, this is most extraordinary. Clean bell there, and uh, all everybody surrounding the freighters and tapping on the back. What an extraordinary thing. So the final day then starts with 267 more needed by West Indies. We've got nine wickets left. And after a good start, Watkin takes three wickets and three overs to swing the game England's way. We have a 6-3 offside field and he's out. A wicket caught by Lamb at first slip. Watkin, having been driven for four and for three, gets the wicket of Hooper. Watkin bowls. And he swings him up in the air. Gooch is underneath it. Leading edge and he's out caught. And that is a major blow for England. Richards caught Gooch, bowled Watkin three. The West Indies are 85 for four. And England are delighted. Logie it is now who has the strike and goes back. He's edges. He's brilliantly caught. Brilliant catch at third slip by Gooch. An edge to a lifting ball and Gooch held a stunning catch left-handed Viv Richards what was he doing there Fazir he had a, a, a real swipe didn't he yeah and, and Viv, Viv probably at, at a point in his career because we, we knew that this was going to be his last series where he was especially determined to go out on a high in England remember that fantastic uh, series he had in 1976 and uh, of course a precursor to so many dominant teams but maybe sometimes even trying too hard maybe his own, even his own worst enemy at times with that desire to dominate because sometimes even with the great of them, it's difficult to recognize that look. Uh, maybe the, the, the eye isn't as sharp as it used to be, the reflexes aren't as, as, as sharp as, as it would have been then. Uh, so it was a pretty poor shot. And, and when you get Viv Richards, whether at the age of 21 or 39, uh, as he was then, uh, it really would set you up for an excellent victory. Well, it was an extraordinary test match with so many single figure scores. West Indies, of course, only three making double figures in the first innings. Well, they did get better. They actually had four in the second. But again, Batson really struggling to start with the ball moving around. Devon Malcolm took the final wicket 
with uh, Atherton claiming a running catch and England one up in the series. Here comes Malcolm E. Bowles to Walsh, who hits it in the air. He could be caught. It's Ramprakash coming in. Two of them going for it. And it is caught, in fact, very well indeed by Michael Atherton, diving in front of Ramprakash from the gully. And England have beaten the West Indies for the first time in England for 22 years. They have won this match. The West Indies all out for 162 at 10 past three on the fifth grey blustery afternoon. And the crowd, jubilant is the word, they seem to have doubled since lunch. It's as if the word that the famine is over has uh, got through and suddenly they're all descending on the oasis which is heading here. Numbers, figures, stats, data, your territory, uh, <laughs> Andy, but um, inevitably people talk about Graham Gooch, they talk about 3-3-3 three, 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 uh, against India the previous summer, but, but this one five four not out for me at any rate. I suspect for Graham too, actually, would surely eclipse that, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely. It was a, a, a way tougher bowling attack, as we've talked about, one of the finest attacks England uh, England had faced. And the, the situation of the game, you know, without that innings, there's no way England uh, England would have won. And again, to give it fur- further context, England's uh, bowling performance, Philip de Freitas took four wickets in both innings. He came into that summer having taken only 48 test wickets in 20 tests, average 42. Then he took 30 that summer at an average of 19. So it was a real breakthrough summer for de Freitas. Um, and it was the first time England had bowled West Indies out for under 200 in both innings since 1963. And in that time, only twice had West Indies been bowled out for under 200 in both innings of a test by any team and they were both by India in matches away in Chennai so uh, again the, in, in terms of the context of the West Indies might have been a slightly fading force they were still very strong it would still be another four years before they lost uh, a test series that extraordinary unbeaten run of a, of a decade and a half um, so this was a, a landmark victory for England and uh, for Gooch uh, the, the high point of a, of a long and illustrious career I do remember Fazia, Tony Cozier, at the end of that match, shaking his head and talking about the start of the decline and so on, which, of course, Tony, you know, I'm sure lots of you did, but, but Tony really did start talking about that from a very early stage. Um, I think he would probably point at this match uh, and, and say that this is really confirmed at what he'd been warning about over the previous years. Yeah, and I think we'd, we'd seen the signs a bit earlier. Uh, the, the, during that era of, of uh, the, the 1980s, the Westerners fought some titanic battles with Pakistan. And, and the, all of those series finished 1-1, three test series on, on, on at least three occasions. And the one in the Caribbean in 1988, Imran Khan is convinced, but for some poor umpiring, they would have won the series 3-0. The Westerners just scraped a draw in the final test. So even then you were seeing the signs. But yeah, 1991, first test match of the series, losing to England, uh, that again was another indicator. And, and, yeah, and yeah, I think the Westerners by sheer force of will and still the quality of, the, of their players and because they had so many players accustomed to winning were still able to hang on and get the odd victory and win the series for another four years. But the writing was on the wall. So it was a remarkable victory and a statement. How did the rest of the series play out? Well, well, that game in which the infamous, uh, famous, glorious leg over moment happened, the, uh, the Oval Test, the fifth match of that series, England won that game, another brilliant 
victory in a, in a thrilling match uh, that made it two all. So it was a, a drawn series. And again, England hadn't uh, won a home test against West Indies since 1969 before that Headingley test. No team had won two tests in a series against West Indies since their 5-1 defeat in Australia in the mid-1970s that, uh, that preceded their era of of dominance, so it was a uh, it was a wonderful summer. It's one of the, the finest series that's ever been played uh, in England, and uh, and we talked about the debuts of Hick and Ramprakash. Hick dropped for the final test. Ramprakash batted nine times in the series, made double figures on every occasion, but never reached thirty. But he had seven scores over twenty, which is a world record. So that was, and then England went to New Zealand and dropped him. So it was a, a highly promising debut series against one of the great attacks of all time, and uh, England. Uh, I think probably didn't do themselves a great deal of credit with how uh, the selectors treated Ramprakash after that. But the uh, the series as a whole was a fantastic series between uh, a still great West Indian team and uh, an England side emerging from a dark few years at the end of the 80s. Well, many thanks again to uh, Andy Zoltzman and to, and to Fuzzy Muhammad. Uh, great to, to have you with us. Thanks for joining us looking back at, uh, at these games. And thank you for joining me for the second of this four-part series, examining some of the great games involving England and the West Indies. You can catch the accompanying TV series with Isha Gua on the BBC iPlayer. Next time, we're going to 1995 and the very special game at Old Trafford. And make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to the Test Match Special podcast via BBC Sounds. Alan Shearer and Ian Wright are in my kitchen. Mm. What's going on here? The all-new Match of the Day Top 10 podcast, answering a huge football question every week. This has not been easy, has it? Like the Top 10 Premier League strikers. Firstly, I think it's really hard to have Shearer anywhere near the Top 10. (laughs) The Match of the Day Top 10 podcast. Only available on BBC Sounds. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.